Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. This is a 15-week study of Who Holds Forgiveness. The word forgiveness brings different emotions to each of us. Join us as we dig deeper into who holds forgiveness. Here's Jacqueline. Let's open in prayer and then we're going to go to the book of Mark. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for friends. Thank you for moms. Thank you for women. Thank you for life that we get to celebrate. Thank you for the days that we get to look back at all that you've given to us, the relationships that we have with you, the relationships we get to have with our spouse and with our children, with our grandbabies, with our girlfriends. Lord, you've given us so much just in life that we get to, um, that we get to enjoy, we get to take part of, that we get to have memories with. And we thank you right now for all those good memories, for all that good life that you've given to us. I pray right now, as Dandy uh, prayed a moment ago, that you will take away all those thoughts. I know I have a million circling through my head this morning. I do pray that you will hear that prayer and that you will take them all and just set them aside for right now. Help our eyes to be set on the word of God and the word of God alone. I pray that our heart will be set on you, that our eyes will seek things above and not the things that are on our hearts, on our minds, and our thoughts. I pray that we'll center, center all of our things on you. Lord God, we have the book of Mark and the book of Galatians laid before you today. We have the life of Peter laid before you today, and I pray that you will do what you want to do with all of that information. I pray that your words will be heard today and your words alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark. We are going to start in the book of Mark. This is when we first started this series, we said we were going to do a study on the book of Mark. And so far, we've done pretty well going through Mark. We're going to do Mark some more today. And we're going to pop into Galatians. Because how do you not do Galatians? Personal challenge from the start, read the book of Galatians. Read it all in one sitting because it's a letter. Read the letter. It's amazing. And hopefully, prayerfully, by the end of this study today, you'll want to read it a couple of times. But let's start in Mark, Mark chapter 7. Our title of our study is Who Holds Forgiveness? And we've had some great, great discussions about who holds forgiveness. And we know the answer. The answer is God. We know the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. He holds our forgiveness. We're going to talk about that some more today. And we're going to talk about the evidence forgiveness. We know and we've made sure over the last couple of weeks that we are forgiven. We stand on that, do we not? We know that Jesus came. We know that Jesus died on the cross. We know that Jesus buried our sins and we know that Jesus rose again. We know that. And if you don't know that, if that's your first time hearing that, oh, I pray today's your day of salvation. Say those words to God today what you know that Jesus did for you. I pray that today is your day of salvation. But for those of us in this room, we know, we know Jesus. The smiles that cross the room when we say the name of Jesus are evident that we know Jesus. The fact that we know Jesus and we know his forgiveness, what's the evidence of that? What's the evidence of that? We have habits sometimes. We have churches Sometimes we have religions, sometimes that proclaim, uh, let's use the word, rules. 
You ever seen that happen? You go into a church and there's rules when you enter that church. Some rules are not biblical, but they're useful. Like don't let your children run across the stage. (laughs) That is a rule that some churches have, and it's not an awful rule to have. You're not going to find that rule in scripture, but it's a good rule to have. It teaches your children how to behave in a public building, let alone the house of the Lord. So it's not bad. Some rules that some churches have are not biblical and they're not very useful. I don't think I need to give any of those examples. I think they might already be coming through our hearts. Some of us were raised in churches that have rules that make us stay away from scripture. Not all rules are beneficial. However, God gave law, did he not? First, he gave a promise to Abraham, and then he gave laws to Moses. Some rules are good. The law of the Lord is great. And then we enter into the New Testament world where we see Pharisees. And the Pharisees took the laws of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, and multiplied them. And then multiplied those. They made quite a bit. And they really, really liked their rules. They liked their rules more than they liked the law of the Lord. That makes sense. This is where we are today in our scripture. Mark chapter 7. I'm going to start at the beginning. The end of Mark 6 tells us where Jesus landed and that he's surrounded by people. Verse 7 or verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so he arrived, he was surrounded by people that were wanting to be healed. And the Pharisees approached this scene of miracles and had a conversation with him. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, says verse one, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, some of the disciples ate with hands that were unwashed. Means nothing to you and me. Maybe it means something. We did survive 2020. We were reminded, as every preschooler is taught, wash thy hands keeping those thoughts far, far away from us. Here we go. Verse three, it says in parentheses, I love Mark in this chapter. He gives us three different parentheses where he gives us insight as to what is going on behind the scenes. In verse three, inside this parentheses, Mark says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to what? The tradition of the elders. Not the law of the Lord, not scripture, not Old Testament law, but according to the tradition of the elders, the Pharisees who made the multiplication of the laws. Well, if we're going to eat food, it's very important that we eat food in this manner. And this was the manner. Verse four, when they come from the marketplace, they bought food, took it home. They did not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and of pots and of copper vessels. Those three things have different washing regulations, right? We wash dishes. Sometimes you wash your fancy glasses differently than you wash your cast iron skillet. 
you would never wash your glass the same way you wash your cast iron skillet. You wouldn't do that. There was the same process. You had your cup washing, which had its way. You had its pot washing, which had its way. Its copper vessel that had its way. And the food you brought home from the marketplace had its way. We're no different. We bring home our apples. We wash those one way. We have our cups. We want, it's the same thing. They just turned it into a law. Ridiculous. They turned it into watch me in the kitchen and observe my spirituality. And people wonder why I don't like the kitchen. <laughs> I just, after teaching scripture for how many years, just found my biblical excuse. <laughs> that, that's great. That's great. I honestly want to just pray and go home right there. <laughs> that's really really good. Do you see how ridiculous the Pharisees are? How rule makers are. They make rules for their spiritual life to be demonstrated. I'm a follower of God. Therefore, I do this. And when I do this, you know that I am a follower of God. Anybody in this room guilty of that? I'm going to wear these clothes to church on Sunday so that the people I go to church with on Sunday know that I'm a good Christian girl. I'm going to use this tone when I talk to people. And they're going to know how much I love Jesus. And I'm not going to invite them to my house. On a Tuesday. <laughs> do we not put on our presentation? We do. We all have our thing. And in our own thing, we see somebody else's thing, and we think your thing does not demonstrate my walk with the Lord. Therefore, your thing is sinful. Welcome to the world of pharisaical belief. We're guilty of it. We see this in our own life. We see this in the life of others. This is what Jesus is having a problem with. The Pharisees come to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw some of his disciples. Picture what's happening. Jesus, Jesus is with his disciples. And Jesus, I'm assuming, gave the disciples permission to grab some corn out of the field and eat it. Because the disciples would not go in front of that. Because some of the disciples really had a hard time eating outside of the law. One of those disciples was Peter. Peter really had a hard time with eating unclean things. We see that in the book of Acts. In fact, it took him 12 years to get over that lesson. Give yourself grace when you learn something new. It took Peter 12 years. Biblically, you look at the book of Acts to understand the lesson of it's okay to eat something unclean. It's okay. I don't know if Peter jumped on this today. I don't know if Peter was one of the ones that ate unwashed food with unwashed hands. I don't know if he did. Not if it took him 12 years to learn that all things are unclean or that all things unclean are now clean. I'm just curious. Verse, let's go down to verse five. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why? 
questions are good. Questions could be good. Sometimes they're bad. I'm going to take out a portion of what they ask and look at how good this question could be. Why do your disciples eat with defiled hands? Is it okay to ask questions? Why do you do that? I asked a girlfriend this once who always wore long skirts, always wore long skirts, always. Didn't matter what day of the week or where she was going, she always wore long skirts. We're shoe shopping. <laughs> makes sense. And she's trying on these adorable shoes with her adorable long skirt. A good friend of mine. So I asked her, why do you always wear long skirts? Was that a bad question for me to ask? I wanted to know. And she told me her answer, and her answer was so good. She said, I made a promise to God. Was I wearing a skirt? No. Was she judging me? No. Not good? It's a good answer. It's a good answer. The Pharisees could have asked Jesus that exact question. Um, why are they eating with defiled hands? Can you explain that to me? Can I be teachable in this? They could have done that, but they didn't. You can see the negative tone when you see their full question. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? How terrible. How terrible that the Pharisees are looking directly into the face of God in the flesh and judging God. That's what they're doing. So Jesus answered them according to prophecy. And I, lo I love Jesus's answer. Verse six, he says, and Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Huh. Don't you wish sometimes you could quote Jesus? Am I allowed to say that out loud? Wouldn't that be kind of fun? My husband's like, I would love to be able to say things and push rewind. <laughs> that would be one of those moments. It says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And he quotes um, from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines. And here's the heartbreaking statement above all the heartbreaking statements, teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. And then Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You've left the promise of the Abraham. You claim Abraham is your father, but you don't even hold on to what he is known for. And that's his faith. You've walked away from that. You don't hold on to the law of the Lord that was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. You don't hold on to that law that was given from God to my people. You don't even hold on to that. What do you hold on to? Shamefully, yourself. That's what you hold on to. You hold on to your appearance of justification. A good thing to say right here would be, I am so sorry, Lord. Because perhaps God's saying that to you. A good response would be to have a teachable spirit and say, God, I have been stuck. I have been stuck on my righteousness, on my display of righteousness. And I'm, I'm sorry. What do I do next? That's what today's going to be about. What do we do? How do we do this? And I encourage you, read the rest of Mark. And I really knew I was going to um, finish this passage, but I'm not. I'm going to keep going. So read Mark. It'll connect to Galatians, I promise. And if it doesn't in your book, it's okay. <laughs> 
because Mark 7 is amazing. And Galatians is amazing. So let the spirit do what the spirit needs to do in your study. Mark 7 is a great, great personal challenge and see how it's connected to Galatians. Galatians 3, and I quoted this. I just want to read this one verse, Galatians 3, 17. When we think about Abraham, which is what the Jews held on to as the faith of the father Abraham, we see in Galatians 3, 17, this is what I mean, says Paul to the church of um, and Gal- the Galatians. He says, this is what I mean. The law, the law of God, which came 430 years after the promise to Abraham does not annul a covenant previously ratified to God so as to make the promise void. There is not a law, there is not a rule that can knock out the promise of God. And the problem that we see with the Jews, the Pharisees of this day, is they forgot the promise of God. They forgot the promise of God. Nothing good ever comes when someone forgets the promise of God. I think most of us have lived long enough to understand or to recount a time in our story and our past where we forgot the promise of God. Is there that moment that you look back and you're like, I lived that whole season without holding on to the promise of God. My child was sick. My marriage was falling apart. My health was a disaster my finances, my job, my fill in the blank. And I went through that season and I forgot the promise of God. We can say that. You're not the only one. It happens. It does. It shouldn't. It's terrible when it does, but we learn so much from it. Unless you want to be a Jew and a Pharisee and stick in it. I advise, don't be a Pharisee. Don't stick in that. Galatians 3.17, one more time. It says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. When we fast forward to you and me, what is the promise that God has given to us? Are there multiple answers, aren't there? You're like, wait, trick question? What's the answer? What's the answer? The obvious, easiest answer to every question? Jesus. From the very beginning of, the, of scripture, from the very beginning of time, the whole purpose we read this book, the whole purpose we have this book, the whole purpose in which we live is Jesus from start to finish. It's Jesus. No law can take that promise away. No rule can take that promise away. No presentation in which we live our life can take away the promise of Jesus Christ. And one beautiful thing is when Jesus rose again. Jesus then went forward and ascended again. Did he not? He went back to his heavenly throne. He went back to his home and he promised something. What did he promise us? He promised that he's coming again, but before he comes again, he didn't leave us alone, did he? He promised us the Holy Spirit. So here we sit with our rules and with our convictions, and with our life standards. And sometimes in all of that, we forget that we have the Holy Spirit. Our rules, this is the problem with rules. Rules knock out room for the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Rules knock out room for the Holy Spirit. 
I don't want to talk badly about churches, but if, if you do have a history of going to a religion that was focused on rules, do you look back at that religion, that building, and think the Holy Spirit was present there? It's kind of, it's one or the other. When we have our rules and we have our own personal display, we tend to judge other people. Where's the Holy Spirit in that? There's no room for the Holy Spirit. So we sit here and we think of ourselves, okay, I'm going to live in that forgiveness and I want my life to be evident to that forgiveness. So I'm going to try really hard to look like I live in that forgiveness. No, don't do that. Because all you're doing is you're setting your eyes from, this is my sin, this is my weight, this is my burden, to setting my eyes on, this is my good, this is who I am, this is what I want to look like. And your eyes are down. Your eyes on what's on earth, your eyes on what you in the physical can display. I physically displayed bad and now Jesus came and I believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and now I'm going to live good and my flesh is going to be good. And you're thinking of the temporal and you're thinking constantly what's in front of you. Jesus says, Jesus says right here, set your eyes Set your eyes. Colossians 3, 1 tells us, forget the things that are below. Look on things that aren't above. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 tells us to wait, wait, wait for the coming of the Lord. And while you wait, you will not be lacking anything. Wait. So how do I demonstrate my forgiveness? You don't. Huh, <laughs> not the hardest answer because we want to do we want to display we want to show I live in the forgiveness of God I live in the forgiveness of God how do I show that you wait you wait and your eyes are here always hold on to that thought and look at Galatians Galatians chapter 5 and I highly plead that you read all of Galatians this week as a personal challenge. It talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. It talks about our salvation that we have in Christ. Verse 16, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Do you see the opposing viewpoint? You have your eyes here on the flesh or you have your eyes here on the spirit. You cannot look both ways at the same time. Either your eyes are on your flesh for good, for bad. It does not matter. When we're thinking about our flesh, our eyes are down. When our eyes are on the spirit, our eyes are up. You cannot look both ways at the same time. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The promise of faith outshines every law. Ponder that for a moment. The promise of faith outweighs every rule. Like, but I've always had this rule. I was raised to live in this rule, this box. Okay? Jesus. Are you going to bring Jesus into your box? Or are you going to see what the Holy Spirit can do? 
What are you going to do? It's our choice. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works, and this is where it's tied back into Mark 7. The works of the flesh are what? Evident. Verse 19, it says the works of the flesh are evident. We display them, they're seen. Mark says that these evidence of the flesh are from the heart. From our heart, we see sexual immorality because that's what's in our heart. Therefore, our body displays it. What's in our heart is impurity. Therefore, it's displayed. It's evident in our flesh. We could say that about sensuality. Verse 20 brings out idolatry and sorcery. It brings out strife and fits of anger. Brings out divisions. Verse 21 points us to drunkenness. There's a whole list of things. Whether we're listed on there or not, it's our sin. The work of the flesh is evident. We talked about that already in this series. Our flesh demonstrates it. But then it says, the contrast, verse 22. And this is not a new verse for many of us, but I pray that we see it brand new. Verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, it does not say your flesh. It does not say you. It does not say your personal rules. It doesn't say anything about you. We read these next two verses and we think all the time, I need to put this on. I need to put this on. I need to put this on. I need to demonstrate this. But this has nothing really to do with you. You, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what you do. You, you set your eyes on things that are above, not on things of this world. That's what you do. What else do I do? Nothing. Nothing. Gives us freedom. But it also takes away anything to hold on to. When I first learned that I'm not supposed to hold on to anything except for the freedom of Jesus, I stood in front of my husband of 10 years and I said, I have nothing else to hold on to. And he says, good. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> and it took me years to learn what does that mean to live in freedom? What does that mean? It means my eyes are up. That's what it means. And I don't have to put myself under a rule. I don't have to. I don't have to live my life in guilt. I don't have to. I don't have to carry my shame and I don't have to put on a image. I could just wear stilettos if I want to wear stilettos. I could do what I want to do because my eyes are on Jesus. And here's where some religions have a hard time with that. If we live our life like that, then you're going to slip and fall into sin if you don't have rules. If you don't have a box and limitations and you're going to slip and fall into sin, my question to that is, if my eyes are on Jesus, where is sin in my head? Sin doesn't have space in my heart if my eyes are right here. It's like wife. When your eyes are so set on that husband of yours, every man in the world can pass around you and you don't even know they exist. Because that man, those eyes, that jaw, <laughs> you're set it's the same thing with your father same thing with God almighty you keep those eyes here sin can pass and you could care less about it you don't need a box you don't need rules you don't need law you need your eyes set 
set those eyes on things above, not on things of this world. And then when that happens, then you get to just watch what the Holy Spirit can do. What can the Holy Spirit do? He can do this. He can do love in you. Think about that. Don't rush through this verse. Some of us are singing the song of the fruits of the Spirit. We taught this to our three-year-olds. Don't go through this verse just yet. Think about you and think about love. Because somebody in their heart just said, but I'm a person of anger. I don't have love in me. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Then you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you have the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit's love in you. So for you to proclaim with your physical mouth, I don't have love in me, then you're diminishing the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Don't diminish the Holy Spirit of God in you. Don't do that. Sit right there. Some of us need to sit right there this week. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, the evidence of the Spirit in me is His love is in me. Fall in love with that this week. Fall in love with the Spirit's love in you. Keep your eyes here and constantly think at all times, the Spirit of God's love is in me. And watch and see what God does with that. Just watch and see. You'll be blown away. The evidence or the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Oh, how wonderful is joy. Isn't joy good? Joy is so good. Life is hard. Life is hard. Oh, but the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. It does not matter what your hardship is. There is strength in his joy. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like, but I don't have joy. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who's filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you is joy. Don't diminish the Holy Spirit of God in you. Do you see this pattern that we could go through this whole thing? You don't have to fake joy. Is there freedom there? Have you ever had to try to fake joy? It's exhausting. It is exhausting. How are you today? Oh, oh, I'm great. <laughs> your face hurts. You're stomping your feet. It's ridiculous. It's no good. Because then the opposite happens inside of you, isn't it? I'm proclaiming joy and I feel disgusting inside. And then you start harping on yourself some more and burying yourself in dirt. And it's a whole bad cycle. Don't do the bad cycle. Keep your eyes on God and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. What is he going to do? He's going to be joy. He's going to be joy. And watch. Behold what our God can do. We could go through. And you say, I don't have peace. Oh, but the Holy Spirit, he does. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Oh, I pray the Holy Spirit takes these words to the deepest root that needs these words. 23 says the Holy Spirit's evidence in us is gentleness. It's self-control. 
And then this most powerful statement comes out. And he says, against these things, against the evidence of the spirit in the believer of Jesus Christ, against these things, there is no law, no law, nothing. You cannot put a rule next to the Holy Spirit. It can't even. There's no law. Not one, not even that one that just crossed your mind. No law. There's no box. The Holy Spirit cannot, cannot be put in a box. Keep your eyes here. Let that be your sword. Ephesians 6 tells us to hold on to the sword of the Lord, doesn't it? That's this book. Let this book go with you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. But I'm going out to lunch with a friend today. Good. Take this with you. But they don't know Jesus. Oh. <laughs> Take this book with you. Don't go anywhere without your sword. And hold on to your sword and see what the Holy Spirit will do as you hold on to his sword. It'll help you keep your eyes this way. Sit in your living room. Keep your sword with you. Watch and see what happens. Life's going to be different. Laying in bed at night. Fear comes in. You open this book and lay it next to you. See what the sword can do. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And see what the Holy Spirit will do. That's the evidence of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit is meeting each and every one of us. Lord, I know my heart is being met by what the Holy Spirit is laying on my heart for my personal walk with the Lord. And I pray that upon every single girl that's in this room. I pray for our home group girls. I pray for our Zoom girls. I pray for our online girls, those that are watching via video, those that are listening during, through podcast. Lord, our women are so vast. And I pray right now for every single one of our hearts that the Holy Spirit is meeting us individually, personally, and with such love. I pray that you will open our eyes to what you can do, not that what we need to do, but that you can do. Help us to set our eyes on things that are above. And Lord God, I pray that you'll allow us to see. Let us see what happens with the Holy Spirit in us as we fall in love so, so deeply with our Jesus. Lord, I pray. We pray all these things through the power of the blood and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We do have, I mentioned these a couple of weeks ago, we do have cards that on the back give scripture. It's all about Jesus. I got to hand one of these out um, at Michael's yesterday. And the girl just looks at it and looks at me like she wanted me to keep talking. So I pointed to it. I said, I don't know if you know Jesus, but these verses will help you fall in love with him. And she kept looking at me and looking at the card like I was supposed to keep talking. So I kept talking. <laughs> I got to pray for this girl all day. I don't know if she got saved or not, but she got, she got a little card and I got to talk to her about Jesus. Hand these out. There's a whole stack of them. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WIOnline. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.